0: Section One of Eleven Possible Cases by Various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Eleven Possible Cases by Various. The Only Girl at Overlook by Franklin Files. Chapter One two names were used for the only girl at overlook in addressing her the men of the place always said miss Warrener. in mentioning her they often said mary might the reason for this distinctive difference was revealed by the sight of miss mary warriner herself as she sat on a high stool behind a rude desk under a roughly boarded shelter and with rapid fingers clicked the key of a telegraphic instrument there was a perfect poise of quiet self-possession which would have been very impressive dignity in an older and bigger person and which although here limited by eighteen years and one hundred pounds still made a demand for respectful treatment therefore the men when in her presence never felt like calling her anything else than miss warrener if she had been less like a stately damsel in miniature and more like such a child as she was in size only—if her employment had been something not so near to science as that of telegraphy, and not so far off from juvenile simplicity. If her brown hair had been loosely curled instead of closely coiled, and if her skirts had stopped at her ankles instead of reaching to her feet, then she might have been nicknamed Mary Mite within her own hearing as she was beyond it by those who described her smallness in a sobriquet there may have been a variance of opinion among those dwellers at overlook who had made any estimate of her composure but if there was one who believed that she merely assumed a reserve of manner because she was among two hundred men he had not yet tried his chances of exceptional acquaintance overlook was crude and temporary the inhabitants were making a road-bed a new railway at a spot where the job was extraordinary, requiring an uncommonly large proportion of brain to brawn in the work. Those who were mental labourers in the remarkable feat of engineering, or were at least bosses of the physical toil, were the ones who had errands in the telegraphic shed, and for whom Mary sent and received messages over the wires. The isolated colony of workers was one hundred miles deep, in a wilderness of mountain and forest, but not as many seconds distant, measured by the time necessary for electrical communication, from the construction company's headquarters in a great city. "'Must you wait for an answer?' Mary said, as she clicked the last word of a message. "'It's an hour since your first telegram went, and they seem in no hurry to reply.' polite indifference and nothing else was in her clear gentle voice there was neither boldness nor shyness in the eyes that opened wide and blue as she lifted them from the paper to the man whom she questioned there was no more of a smile than of a pout in the mouth that worded the inquiry she did not indicate the faintest interest as to whether he went or stayed although she did suggest that he might as well go "'I'd rather lounge here, if you don't mind,' was Gerald Heath's answer. Here the alertness of the placid girl was faintly shown by a quick glance, but it was so furtive that the subject of her wariness did not know his face was being scrutinised, and she was quickly convinced that she was not the cause of his remaining, for he said, "'I'll tell you why I'm anxious about the telegram, and in a hurry to get it.' gerald heath had been lazily leaning against the makeshift desk of the telegrapher as he waited and for pastime had whittled the smooth birch sapling that formed its outer edge he had chipped and shaved after the manner of those to whom a sharp pocket-knife and a piece of wood provide a solace there had been no conversation except a few words concerning the messages but now he heightened himself to six feet by standing erect and took on the outlines of a magnificent physique. His proportions had not been realised before by the girl at the other side of the counter. She comprehended, too, that if his somewhat unkempt condition were changed to one which included a face cleaned of stubbed beard, a suit of modish clothes to replace the half-worn corduroys, and the shine of a silk hat and polished boots at his now dusty extremities, he would become a young gentleman whose disregard might be an appreciable slight that was the conclusion which she reached without any visible sign that her careless eyes were conveying any sort of impression to her mind as it was he looked an unusually burly specimen of the men to whom isolation from city life had imparted an aspect of barbarians before he had uttered another word she realized he was wholly engrossed in the matter of his telegrams and had no thought of the individuality of the listener not only was she not the thing that made him wait but she might as well have been old ugly or a man if only she had ears to hear it was a summer afternoon and the clear balmy weather was seasonable the removal of protective canvas had left the structure an open shed over the front of which hung the boughs of the two trees against whose massive trunks it leaned gerald heath reached up with both hands and held the foliage aside do you get an unobstructed view he said now i've helped lay out railroads through many a place where it was a shame to let trains go faster than a mile a day i've surveyed routes that ought to provide special trains for passengers with eyes in their heads Trains with speed graduated between 60 miles an hour and 60 hours a mile. It is an outrage on nature and art that travellers should ever be whisked past overlook without a good chance to see what we're looking at. That's why I wrote to the president of the company a month ago, telling him how a slight deviation from the surveyed line would enable passengers to get what's in our view now. He asked how much the line would be lengthened by my plan, A hundred yards, I answered, and I submitted a map, showing how the tracks, after coming out from the tunnel, might make a small detour to this very spot, instead of going behind a mass of rocks that will completely hide this, and a comprehensive gesture of one arm followed his sweep of vision. Places that get their names on impulse are apt to have appropriate ones. Camps of railway-makers in a hitherto unbroken country are not often miscalled an ensuing town on the same site may be unmeaningly named as a permanency but the inspirations that afford transient nomenclature are usually descriptive it was so in the case of overlook the railway tunnelled through the mountain and emerged at a height of one thousand feet above a wide valley mary had daily and all day long sat overlooking the prospect it had astonished and enchanted her at first but familiarity had blunted the keenness of her appreciation as shown to her anew it was like a fresh disclosure gerald heath stood holding aside the boughs which otherwise obscured a part of the landscape and seemed like an exhibitor of some wondrously big and beautiful picture miles away were hills rising behind one another until they left only little of sky to be framed by the eave of the shed as seen by the telegrapher the diversities of a wilderness distantly strong in rugged forms but indistinct in details became gradually definite and particularly as they came nearer and were suggestive of conscious design where they edged a broken tumultuous river overlook was shelved so high on a precipitous mountain that from mary's point of vision the foreground almost directly underneath passed out of her sight and it was as though the spectator stood on a platform before a painted canvas too spacious for exhibition in an ordinary manner but in this work the shapes and the colours the grandeur and the beauty were inconceivably beyond human copying gerald heath appeared to feel however that if he was not the painter of this enormous landscape he at least had the proprietary interest of a discoverer and it was with something of an air of an art collector proudly extolling his choicest possession that he turned his eyes from it to mary warriner the expression of admiration on her face although quiet and delicate was quite satisfactory for a moment only and then the denotement of delight passed out of her visage, as though expelled by some physical pang. It was the suddenness of the change, for it was of itself very slight, that made it perceptible. Gerald instinctively turned to look for the cause. Into the picture had come a human figure. A few yards in front of the hut stood a man. In relation to the landscape far beyond, he was gigantic, and the shade of the trees made him devilishly black, by contrast with the sunlight of heaven that illumined the rest he was thus for an instant in silhouette and it chanced that his sharp outlines included a facial profile with the points of a moustache and beard giving satanic suggestion to an accidental attitude of malicious intrusion the illusion was almost startling but it was momentary and then the form became the commonplace one of tonio ravelli who walked under the shelter do i intruder he asked with an italian accent and an italian bearing i suppose no eh this is a place of business mary's small departure from a business-like perfunctory manner ended at once she took the scrap of paper which Ravelli laid on her desk and without a word translated its writing into telegraphic clicks Ravelli was a subcontractor and this was one of his frequent communications with officials at the company's city office. The response was likely to be immediate, and he waited for it. To get the full value of this view, Gerald Heath resumed, and now he addressed himself to Mary directly, as though with almost a purpose of ignoring Ravelli, to whose greeting he had barely responded. "'You need to come upon it suddenly, as I once did,' We had been for months blasting and digging through the mountain. Every day's duty in that hole was like a spell of imprisonment, in a dark, damp dungeon. And your men, Ravelli, looked like a chain gang of convicts. You would no dare say so much to their faces," Ravelli retorted with an insolence that was unmistakably intentional. "Oh, I didn't mean a reflection on them," said Gerald, disregarding the other's quarrelsome aggressiveness we all look rascally in the mud drip and grime of tunnel work and your gang of swarthy italians are bound to have a demoniac aspect underground it was more careless than intentional that gerald thus provoked Ravelli; there had been dislike between them growing out of friction between their respective duties as a civil engineer and a subcontractor for the former was necessarily a critic of the latter's work but they had never quarrelled and gerald saw nothing in this occasion as Ravelli seemed to for any outbreak of temper better be civil with your tongue Ravelli sneered well i think so too as we are with a lady that is why i insist you treat me as one gentleman so it seemed that he was especially regardful of how he figured in the presence of mary warrener like one gentleman oh i will treat you like two gentlemen so politely and gerald began to again nonchalantly whittle the birchen pole i was going to tell how when at last we broke through the rock at this end of the tunnel i happened to be right there a blast tore out an aperture several feet wide we saw daylight through the smoke we rushed pell-mell over the broken stone and struggled with one another to get through first it was why it was you ravelli wasn't it whom i tussled with yes we got into the breach together you tried to push me back you couldn't of course you couldn't and the narrator's reference to his own superior strength was exasperatingly accompanied by a glance not free from contempt it was all in the fun ravelli smilingly explained to mary and then his eyes turned darkly upon gerald if it had to be one earnest fight the different result was vaguely indicated by a hard clinch of fist and a vicious crunch of teeth it was beyond a doubt that Ravelli could not bear to be belittled to mary but she and gerald were alike inattentive to his exhibition of wrath no prisoner was ever more exultant to escape heath went on than i was to get out of that dark noisome hole into clean sunlight i ran to this very spot and well the landscape was on view just as it is now it was like getting from gloom out into glory the young man's exuberant words were not spoken with much enthusiasm and yet they had sufficient earnestness to prove their sincerity he had stopped whittling and his knife lay on the desk as he turned his back against the sapling and rested both elbows on it. So I've been writing to the president of the company, urging him to deflect the route a trifle, so that passengers might come out of the tunnel to see a landscape worth a thousand miles of special travel, and to be had by going less than as many feet. This is the very latest day for changing the survey. Tomorrow will be too late. That is why I'm telegraphing so urgently. click click mary went to the telegraphic instrument she delivered the message by word of mouth instead of taking it down in the usual manner with a pen gerald heath overlook she translated from the metallic language of the instrument your idea is foolish we cannot entertain it henry diekerman president gerald looked like a man receiving a jury's verdict involving great pecuniary loss if not one of personal condemnation as he listened to the telegram, that is what I think, remarked Ravelli with insolent elation. You are one ye fool, as the president he say. Gerald was already angered by the dispatch. The taunting epithet was timed to excite him to fury, which he impulsively spent upon the more immediate provoker. He seized Ravelli by the throat, but without choking him, and almost instantly let him go as though ashamed of having assailed a man of not much more than half his own strength, and nearly twice his age. With Italian quickness Rivelli grabbed Gerald's knife from the desk, against which he was flung. He would have used it too, if self-defence had been necessary, but he saw that he was not to be further molested, and so he concealed the weapon under his arm, while Gerald strode away, unaware of his escape from a stab. "'He is a wan big bully,' said Ravelli, with a forced composure. "'If a lady had a nod been here—' "'You tormented him,' the girl interrupted. "'I once saw the best-natured mastiff in the world lose his temper and turn on a—' "'She stopped before saying cur, and added instead, "'If he was foolish, you were not very wise to tease him. "'He is a—what to you—that you take a his part?' She bit her lip in resentment, but made no reply. "'Perhaps he is one a loveth of you.' She still would not reply to his impertinence. That angered him more than the severest rejoinder would have done. "'Oh, I am sure as that he is one suitor.' She gave way at length to his provocation, and yet without any violent words, for she simply said, "'You are insulting, while he is at least reasonably polite.' when he heeds me at all which isn't often not often but somewhat closely he heed are you see that with an open palm he struck the place on the sapling where gerald had whittled the spot was on the outer edge where mary could not see it from her seat she went around to the front of the primitively constructed desk or high counter to gratify her curiosity there she saw that gerald had carved a hand her own hand as she instantly perceived the small and shapely member was reproduced in the fresh pale wood with rare fidelity she had unconsciously posed it while working the key of the telegraphic instrument under the jack-knife sculptor's eyes and there had been ample time for him to whittle a facsimile into the birch he is almost as impertinent as you are she said and turned to see how ravelli took the comment but Ravelli had disappeared. Then, being alone, she laid a hand of her own coquettishly alongside its wooden counterpart, and critically admired the likeness. "'It was an unwarranted liberty,' she said to herself, "'but he did it very well.' The delicate fibre of the wood had favoured the carver's purpose. The imitation hand bore a shade of flattery in the barely-tinted birch and white, And in the fine-grained satin smoothness that the keen blade had wrought, but this was not too much more than a reasonable compliment. As to the modelling, that was sincerely accurate, and the fingers rested on the key precisely as Mary had seen them during many hours of many days. It is an excessively vain girl who admires herself as actually as she does a portrait, and the telegrapher really saw more beauty in the birchen hand than she had ever observed in the live one as she contemplated it Ravelli returned noiselessly behind her i a wish to say something me suariner the italian accent of Ravelli grated with unnatural harshness on mary's ears and if he had been an intruder upon her privacy instead of a man in a really public place she would not have been surprised into a deep flush she snatched her hand away from its wooden counterpart and clasped it with its mate behind her as she leaned her shoulder against the carving to hide it if you have a message to send she said i can't get it on the wire too soon it's within 5 minutes of time to shut off she started to go behind the desk he stopped her with a touch upon her shoulder and she shrank away reprovingly although it was solely the man's earnestness which had made him do it no no it is not words for ze wire that i have for you he said i wish her to tell yourself something will you listen yes if it's something that i ought to hear this is it i am a more than i seem here different so different you would hardly know me in this place i am only a contractor for the labourer i am as common as my gang in a clothes in a manner too but in one hour in one minute I could a convince you that I am something finer. Mary did not show in her perfectly regained composure that she was so much as puzzled by the man's enigmatic talk. She said, "I don't see how it could be worth while, Mister Rebbelly." "Oh yes," I beg a pardon for ze contradiction. "Yes, it is worth a while. Away f- from me here, Mary, I would be so different that you will love me." "'Stop, Mr. Ravelli, stop!' The command was positive, but it was not obeyed. "'I love you!' He caught her by one wrist as he began. She was utterly unresistant. If she had struggled or cried out, he would have gone on with his voluble, excited declaration. But her placidity was incomprehensible to him. "'Mr. Ravelli,' she began after a moment, "'you understand English?' Perfectly miswariner well here is plain english for you i would use italian if i could so that you mightn't mistake me you are to let go of my hand he did it you are to go away instantly and never come here again except on business go at once that he did not do for what did you come here into one camp oof men eve if i didn't expect to be unsafe i'll tell you it was a mistake operator number 9 was ordered to this post number 9 had been a man who had within a week been discharged and his number given to me by an oversight no alteration was made in the record to show the sex of the new number 9 i couldn't afford to lose the work besides well besides besides i reasoned that every man at overlook would protect me against all other men if yes if "'Yes, if I cared absolutely nothing for any single one of them. "'Therefore I am not afraid, but you must not annoy me.' Fury flashed into the man's eyes, into his reddened face, into the sudden tension of his gripped hands. The girl's contemptuous indifference maddened him. She saw this, and was at once alarmed, for she realised that here was a reckless lover, one who heated dangerously where another would have chilled under disdain but she maintained an unshaken voice as she said you may as well know however that i am amply protected the night watchman is ordered to include this combined office and residence of mine in every round he makes so i sleep quite unconcernedly in the daytime too i shall have defence if it becomes necessary oh have no alarm miss wariner and the man's facial expression softened singularly as he gazed wistfully at the girl I have said I love you. Then, with a startlingly quick transition, he glared menacingly off in the direction that Gerald Heath had gone. It seemed curious to Mary too that, in his rage, his English was clearer than usual as he growled, "It is your lover that should be afraid of me." He flung out one fist in a fierce menace and added in Italian, "Nel vindicavi bisogna mi rende la sua vita." End of section one.